Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, If you're new here and you're wondering where that is, it's right about at the midpoint of our Bibles. Uh, We just uh, kind of open up your Bible in the middle. You're probably going to be around the book of Psalms. And uh, if you're at Psalms, you're, you're getting warmer. Uh, you just flip over two more books. After Psalms is a book of Proverbs, and after Proverbs is the book of Ecclesiastes. All right, so we're in Ecclesiastes, and we're going to be looking uh, first at uh, chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And we're going to spend our time in a few chapters of, of Ecclesiastes. Uh, so buckle up, because <laughs> it's going to be a it's going to be a fun ride for us uh, on a uh, rather difficult subject. Um, that subject is the subject of death, uh, death and dying, uh, aging, getting older, and so on. And so we're going to talk about that uh, um, as we go. When you're there, Sam, there. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and we're going to begin at verse 1. Ecclesiastes 7, beginning at verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is hevel, vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Now let's ask that God would give us wisdom to consider his word, to consider and gain understanding in all that he teaches us here on such a difficult subject. Let's pray. Father, you are wise beyond comprehension. As Paul would say, oh, the depth of the the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments and unscrutable or un, unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has given to the Lord that it should be repaid him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And as Paul says that, he is echoing the, uh, the, the testimony of the prophets and what they say about you, O Lord. Your wisdom and knowledge are rich. And the wealth of wisdom and knowledge that you possess runs deep. So much so that we are baffled. <laughs> Even in my time in this passage, thinking and, and meditating on this, I come to the same conclusion as the preacher himself here. I've got nothing. <laughs> this is over my head. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us. And I pray, Lord, that we would even take good comfort in being uh, stumped by you. <laughs> that you, the God of all wisdom and all knowledge, are not a God to be understood easily. Uh, for what kind of God would that be? <laughs> but you're a God that brings us to our knees saying you are greater than we can understand. You are more excellent than we can fathom. Are beyond what we can comprehend. You are God and we are not. So teach us, Lord, as Moses would say in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days. I pray, Lord, that those who are living this life flippantly, who are not taking into account the brevity of their days here, Father, I pray that they would come face to face with reality. That they would see you as the one who controls their times and seasons. The one who knows both the birth date and the expiration date. I pray, Lord, that we would fall wholeheartedly, all of us as one, fall on our faces before you. And trust that you and you alone can give us hope. We thank you and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in a very interesting season um, because there are a lot of things that are going on right now that covers a whole lot of different aspects of entertainment in our culture. Uh, last week, the Oscars were on TV. How many of y'all watched the Oscars? Yeah, some of y'all watch the Oscars. How many of you uh, have no idea uh, which of the, um, or, 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 well, let me say, how many of you have no idea about several of the movies that were nominated for the Oscars? Hands, yeah, yeah, I, this happens all the time. They say Best Picture, and they give the different nominees for Best Picture, and now they've moved to like 10 nominees, and I know like two of the movies. Um, and all the other ones are like foreign films and things like that. And, I've, and, and you know, movies with, with, with different languages and subtitles, my brain just kind of explodes and, and, and it, you know, it's too much to focus on. Uh, but, but, but we had the Oscars and that was this big cultural moment, except in here where like 10 of you saw it. Um, but this, this, this moment where we once again award the best movies or at least the best moments, best actors cinematography and all of that uh, for our different movies. 
we have several people who go to the movies, who flock to the movies to be entertained. Uh, and, and for the most part, movies do that. They entertain us. They, they're a wonderful part, most of the time, sometimes, uh, of, our, uh, of our culture. And now even this weekend, we had the beginning of March Madness. And uh, I'm not going to talk about any local schools that, that uh, lost yesterday, um, nor will I mention any local schools that didn't even, not even going to talk about them uh, and everything. And I'm certainly not going to talk about my beloved Maryland Terrapins, uh, who, who were, I believe it's a conspiracy, you know, to, to put them up against, you know, the number one team in the country uh, and, and everything. That was so unfair. But, but we're used to, you know, to, to being, you know, receiving unfair treatment when it comes to college basketball and, and, and all of these different things. But we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about those things. Uh, but, but it's another form of entertainment, right? It makes you kind of step back and say, what's up with us and our culture and entertainment? We have amusement. We have um, uh, uh, bars and restaurants. Uh, we have, you know, fairs, you know, in the fall. Uh, we have all of these different things that we use to entertain ourselves. We scroll and scroll and scroll on app after app after app, social media, social media app, whether it be Instagram or whether it be Facebook or, or whether, you know, you want to be spied on for the rest of your life with TikTok or whatever, you know, these different things that, uh, that, that we have that we use to take our time. Do you want me to use this? Okay, that we use to take our time and, and, and our energy and entertain us. Hello? There we go. And there we go. Hi. can you hear me? Okay, we're good. Uh, all of these things that we do and, uh, to entertain ourselves, and, and really they're not just meant to be entertainment, they're also meant to be distractions, the things that we do to distract ourselves, Right? Uh, there's a project that I've got to get done, but let me just put in another half an hour or so, you know, on, on Instagram and let's see how that goes. Or, oh my goodness, did you see that tweet? Oh, hey, how you doing? Yes, yes, don't touch this thing here. By the way, for anybody that ever uses uh, the, the, the uh, cordless mics here, handheld mics, um, just make sure you never touch this bottom part because when you do, uh, snipers... Uh, drop and 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 all of this happens and so in the name of national security just hold it right here right here okay um, <laughs> um, so we we have these uh, projects that we have to get done but you know maybe maybe if, I'll, I'll get it done as soon as I finish watching this game or, or, or I need to, you know, uh, uh, I need to work on on this paper or something. Well, well before, right before I do that, let me let me just see how how this how this episode plays out. Let me let me just get to the end of this season or thing. We do these things to distract ourselves. They're they're distractions. We can do it for fun. We can do it for leisure. We can do it for recreation. But more often than not, we're doing this to distract ourselves. Distract ourselves from what? More often than not, they're here to distract ourselves from reality. 
get to about midday and you go to the bar and thus begins happy hour. Happy hour, which, by the way, is not an hour. It's usually a little bit longer than an hour, right? We go into happy hour. Why do you go to happy hour? Well, you go to happy hour to be happy. Well, what do you define as happiness? Well, a couple rounds, and so, well, why? And what happens after a few rounds? Maybe a few too many rounds. After about a few too many rounds, I, I start, as Proverbs 23 would say, I'm starting to reel and rock like a sailor at sea, right? I'm starting to get a little tipsy, you know? Why is that happy hour? Well, it's happy because it takes me away from reality. Drug culture. What is it about the drug culture that, that, that is so alluring and everything? Why do we even open up the door to such addictive and destructive things? We do so, as you've had any conversation with anybody that's used over the years, they say the same thing. I just wanted to get away. Get away from what? Get away from reality. So I just pop this pill just to disappear for a moment, just to let my mind escape for a moment and so on. What, what's going on? What's going on is there are things about reality that we don't want to face and we don't want to experience. And so we, 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 we find some way, some escape route that we can get out and we can be free. Unfortunately, the greatest burden of our reality is the fact that we all die. Every single one of us has a birthday. Every single one of us will have a death day. And we do all kinds of things to escape, right? We do all kinds of things to distract ourselves from that reality. We watch shows like American Ninja Warrior. We have these guys that are doing death-defying things, right? Or, or even stuff like America's Got Talent and, and, and the, just the things that they do, jumping through hoops of fire and walking on hot coals and all these other kind of circus act type things. We love those things because they defy death. That's what we call them, death-defying stunts. And we clap and we applaud, yeah, that guy defied death. Take that, death. What happens, though? they will die. You can only defy death for so long, right? You don't see uh, uh, people, uh, you know, talking about these stuntmen and these uh, uh, daredevils and so on when they die. Because that seems to be the one stunt that none of us can actually accomplish. It's hard. With death in front of us, we find all these ways to escape. With death in front of us, we find all these ways to avoid it. That's why some people don't like going to the hospitals. Um, someone is sick and they're in the hospital and you have folks that just, I can't go there. I can't because I don't want to be face to face with death. You have folks that don't want to go into the funeral home uh, or go to a funeral because they're, they're afraid. They, they don't want to come face to face with the reality of death. And yet, according to Ecclesiastes here, 
our preacher, who's been preaching to us all throughout this book, he tells us that death is not something that we can avoid, first off. But then he also says that death isn't something that we should avoid. We should not avoid it because in death and dying, we gain much wisdom for this life. There's wisdom there. There's wisdom and insight there that God has placed in this reality that we can learn if we avoid, if we, if we go from, from, from not uh, being distracted away from it, but facing it head on, God gives us wisdom in the face of death. He spends several chapters here in Ecclesiastes developing this in different ways and different forms. And there's no way that we can explain everything that's going on in these next several chapters. Much of what he says in these next couple of chapters, I'm just going to be honest with you. If you ask me what does he mean with at this verse or what does he mean with this line, I'm probably going to, you know, in very Scooby-Doo fashion go, I just I have no idea. I have no clue what he's talking about uh, in here. I've been I've read Ecclesiastes many times over the years of, of, of my walk with the Lord, and there are still questions that I'm asking, and that's comforting because the writer here in Ecclesiastes says the same thing about himself. <laughs> As he's writing, he goes, y'all, this makes no sense to me. I, I honestly have no clue. And that's good. So if he's clueless about something, take heart, everybody. It's okay. You're in good company when you are clueless about this as well. Uh, there's a lot of mystery here, but I think there are some things that are clear, and I want to highlight those as we and as we think about the realities of our mortality. Things. In terms of the different perspectives that we gain from death, that death give us, first thing, uh, death gives us a better perspective on what's important. Death gives us a better perspective on what's important. Now, look at this. In chapter 7, he starts off really with, it's, it's kind of a poem. Uh, that, that, that he's writing here. It's, it's, it's different proverbs and so on, but they're kind of strung together in this uh, really poetic fashion. Look what he says. He says, a good name in verse one is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. So he's making a comparison here. He's saying the day of death is like a good name. Okay, that's what he means by putting these two lines together. Just as a good name is better than precious ointment, in other words, I would much rather have a good reputation than have sweet-smelling cologne, right? Uh, you, you can have folks, maybe you know some folks, where, where you know, they walk by and you go, ooh, that smelled good. Ooh, that was really good. What was that? Was that, was that, uh, I, I don't really wear cologne. Was that Axe body spray? <laughs> um, what, 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 what was that? Wow. Said no one ever um, in the history of mankind. But, but for sake of illustration, um, you know, oh my goodness, that what was that? That smelled really, really good. Now, now if you looked up and, and you saw the person who was wearing that, and you realized instantly that that person was the jerk who, who, who cut you off or who cursed you out or something like that, all of a sudden that's, that, that, that smell doesn't smell all that good, does it? Now it's, oh, you again. 
Okay. You know, that's what he's saying here. Just as a good name is better than precious ointment, so the day of death is better than the day of birth. We have birthdays that are coming up. Uh, new birth, the arrival of a of a baby, like the Loftuses here. We have we have others that have you know uh, that have birthdays that are coming up. That of those of you who are already born and 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 so on. Those are wonderful times. Those are great times. the The writer here is telling us that the last day is better than the first day. Why? Well, he keeps on going. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. It's better to go to the funeral home than to go to the amusement park. We could say it that way. Why? For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. In other words, the, the, the problem with the amusement park and even the problem with our celebration of, of birthdays, kind of at the expense of our death days, our last days, is that our death days remind us of where everything is heading. Birthdays remind us of the past, right? They remind us of the day when we were born. But death days remind you of what is to come. And in that way, he's saying it gives us a better perspective on reality. We will never make it back to our birthday. <laughs> but all of us are heading toward our death day. And so he says, it's better for you to do that. My, my grandmother uh, was an usher. Uh, she was one of the ushers at her church. And, and when I say church, I mean church. Like C-H-E-R-R-R-R-C-H. Church. You know, that's that. My grandmother, and this was an old, traditional black church. One of the ones when mom and dad would tell my sister and I, my brother wasn't born yet, uh, when, when they would tell my sister and I, uh, my sister and me, that we would be going uh, to spend the night, uh, spend the weekend at grandma and granddad's, we would just kind of go, oh, because we knew that if we were going for the weekend, we'd be going with grandma to church on Sunday. And once you go to church, you never got out. It was, it was, it was amazing how long it was. It was so amazing that pretty much after every Sunday, they, they had a meal. And, and the meal was downstairs. They had a fellowship hall down in the basement and everything. And you could smell it the whole service. I mean, fried chicken and collard greens and mashed potatoes and everything. And you're just sitting there going, make it stop. Please make it stop. It was, it was so long, hours and hours on end. And, and not only were they a black church, but they were like a black Pentecostal church. So, so you, you had even more time to give space for people to run a couple laps um, around the church and, and, and pass out and all of these different things. And so, you know, We'd, we'd pack extra clothes, you know, and things like that, you know, because we just didn't know how long we were going to be there. And <laughs> it was it was just it was amazing. But my that was my grandma. She was always in church. She was always in church. And she, she was this old school. So she had her white outfit, you know, with the white stockings and the white shoes and the white gloves and the white hat. I mean, that, that was my grandma, you know, going to church. Uh, here's the thing, though. My granddad, her husband, was not a believer. 
Uh, it was actually one of the hardest days of my life was when uh, I, I remember everything about that day. Uh, junior in high school, uh, we got home and, and the phone rang and we got word that my granddad had a heart attack and died. And, uh, and it was the hardest day because I, to this moment, even now, all these years later, 25 or so years later, um, I have no idea where my granddad is. Uh, is he is he in the presence of the Lord? I don't know. Um, he never really talked about his faith, and when he did, uh, you know, it wasn't positive. It really wasn't until very late in life that where we even got a hint of anything religious. I remember one time we drove over to see them after church, and they were pulling into their driveway, and Grandma and Granddad came out of the car. We were all like. <gasps> Granddad went to church? I mean, it was just what? But we didn't have enough time to know if, if he was, if he had come to faith or, or not or anything. And that is just one of those just hard, hard things that, that we've grappled with uh, for many, many years. But uh, my, my granddad, for the most part, you know, he would stay home and grandma would go to church and he would always be talking about grandma. Uh, up there, there you go again, getting ready to go. Who died this time? That's how granddad would talk, you know, who died this time? Because whenever there was a funeral, grandma was there. Uh, she would be one of the ones cooking the meals and everything. One of the ones, you know, for the bereaved, for the widow, or for the grieving husband to be there for him. And now I look at this passage and I look at my grandma and I go, she may have been one of the wisest people I'd ever met. Because when there was some death or dying, she was there, and I can just imagine the wisdom that she was gaining just being there, just being there, being there to be a shoulder to cry on, but also gaining perspective for herself about what's really important. Please understand, no one on their deathbed is going to say, man, I wish I took one more trip to King's Dominion. That's, that's one of my main regrets in life, is that I didn't get to go there. Nobody there is saying, one of my, one of my, ah, there was a meme that I wanted to retweet, and, and I am so upset that I missed that opportunity to, 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 to send out that, that meme. Man, nobody talks like that. That's not reality. When you are in that moment of death, there's wisdom that you gain. Wisdom on what's really important. Wisdom on what really matters. And that's why he's saying here these types of things. Look, look at this. Uh, you know, verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. Verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. The heart of fools is in the house of mirth. You know, he just keeps on going here. Look at verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. He even says in verse 10, humorously, uh, say not, why were the former days better than these? Man, I miss those good old days. Boy, those were the days we used to do so much, man. We used to, we used to cause so much trouble. Those were the days. No, no, no. Don't be that guy. For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. He says there at the end of verse 10. In other words, what he's saying is gain a perspective on your life that I don't know when my last day will be, but one of these days will be my last. 
And if one of these days will be my last, then that gives me a perspective to understand what really matters and what doesn't matter, what's really important and what isn't important. And don't think that that is just way down the road someday when I hit my 80s or hit my 90s or, or something like that. I have two of my groomsmen in my, uh, from my wedding 18 years ago when Annie and I were standing at the altar uh, in, in Hanover, Pennsylvania. Two of my groomsmen are already gone. College buddies of mine. One had a blood clot in his lung. He didn't even make it to 25 gone. Another one just uh, uh, the year before last, uh, just the year before last, after years of waiting for a kidney, he finally got a match. He had the kidney. He didn't even have it for a year before he was killed in a car accident. Don't think, and this is especially for our young folks here, don't think that when we say your last day is coming that we're talking decades down the road. You don't know that. I can't promise you that. I can't promise that for myself. I don't know if I will live to see my grandchildren. My grandma that I talked about, granddad that I talked about, none of them were around to see me graduate from college. None of them made it to my wedding day. They did not live to see my, my kids, their great-grandkids. They were already gone before that. It's not guaranteed. And so therefore, how will you live your life? What really matters in this life? Can I, can I answer that question for you? You want to know what really matters in this life? What matters more than anything is who your creator is. You were created by an all-loving, all-glorious God who made you not so that you would live your life trying to figure it out and try to figure out your own life and create your own adventure and all of that. No, that's not how he did it. He gave you his revelation in Scripture, and he teaches you wisdom so that you would not just wander and meander around, but that you would have a compass to guide you through every day. The fact of the matter is we have all failed in doing that. We call that sin. We've decided that we were instead going to just do our own thing and be our own compass and chart our own path and so on. And it has led us to disaster. You say, my life is going pretty well. You're, you, you, you just have to wait a little bit longer before the bottom will eventually drop out. If it doesn't drop out in this life, it certainly will drop out in the next life. But God, this same God who made you, this same God that we've turned from, this same God pursues us in his grace by giving us his son and it's in his son and his death on the cross and his resurrection to life and glory that we now have sense of what matters and what doesn't matter. Here's what matters. What will bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ? Here's what matters. What, will, what is consistent with how he created me so that I would live for his glory and his renown and his praise in all of my days? What will show love, true, actual love to my neighbor and to those whom I love, even those who may not love me back? How can I love them in a way that says he is my God and he means more to me than anything else? That's what's important in this life. 
And how can you spend all of your days laying your life down for others as Christ has laid down his life for you? That's what's really important. Knowing that you have a a last day coming should give you perspective on what matters. Well, not only that, but it should also give you perspective on our ignorance. (laughs) He goes on to say in here, look at verse 15. He says, in my vain life, I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. In other words, there there are righteous, good, godly people who die prematurely. Think of my friends that I was just talking about. And then there are wicked scoundrels who live to be like 106. And you go, wait a second, what's going on? And so here's his conclusion in verse 16. He says, be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why would you destroy yourself? Whoa, 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 wait, run that by me again? Hold on. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Am I reading the right Bible? Is that in your Bible? Be not overly righteous. Is he telling us that you know, don't don't try too hard? Is he saying you know I mean, really you know you perfectly? I'm muting that. <laughs> is it saying you know maybe 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 you can sin a couple of times or so? You know don't don't, don't overdo it. Is that what he's saying here? Uh, I don't think that's what he's saying because of course in verse 17 he says, "Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time?" So saying be bad, you know, uh, go ahead and just do, you know, just live your life and, and do stupid stuff. That's not what he's saying here. Verse 20, I think, is a, is a help for us. It says, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Maybe that's a little bit of perspective for us to understand. What I think what he's saying is this. If all of us are going to die, the righteous man is going to die, the wicked man is going to die, and apparently there's no correlation between righteousness and or between your 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 morality and your lifespan that's the point that he's making here uh, righteousness doesn't guarantee that you're going to live a long life wickedness doesn't guarantee you're going to live a premature life so the point that he's making here is this if that's the reason that you are pursuing righteousness it's not it's not a guarantee it's not a guarantee that things are going to go super well for you because you lived righteously you could live righteously be a godly person and be killed in a car accident just as my friend did was a couple years ago that's not the motivator I think that's the point that he's making. He's like, so, so, so don't try to, to a- attain some type of sinless perfection in the hopes that being sinlessly perfect is going to ensure that I live a long life. No, it doesn't. There are brothers and sisters all over the world who are being persecuted for righteousness sake, whose lives are being cut short precisely because they trust Christ and make his name known. It's not a guarantee for anything. So then we say, well, help me understand this then. I don't understand. Why do righteous people die prematurely? Why do wicked people live long lives? So on. And ultimately what he says is, I don't know. I don't know. Look what he says. All I have tested by wisdom 
He says, I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? He's like, I'm trying to figure it out and I can't figure it out. It doesn't make sense to me. And I think that we need to understand that reality as well. The mystery of death, the mystery of our lifespans, the mystery of why people live longer than others and so on is not something that we're ever going to understand. It's not something that we can ever explain. As soon as you think you've got it, remember, Hebel, it disappears. As soon as I've got a grasp on it, ha, I've got a grasp on, on this vapor, and you open up your hands and the vapor is gone. And he says, this is one of those things that just won't make sense to us. And it gives us the perspective then to say, God is God and we are not. You see, God is God and we are not. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. God is the one who has made this hard to understand. He's doing this on purpose. Why? So that none of us get any type of big head thinking that we know what's going to happen next, but rather that all of us stay low and say, I don't know, but God does. And I trust him. I trust him. So death can give us a better perspective on, what, on, on what's important. Death can also give us a better perspective on our ignorance. In chapter 8, he's going to uh, teach us that death gives us a better perspective on injustice. He says in, in verse 2, he says, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Don't take your stand in an evil cause for he being the king does whatever he pleases. The king has the power and the authority to, to do whatever he wants. And he says, for the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? No one can do that. He has authority. And notice, that's God's oath to him, as he said in verse 2. God is the one who gives our political officials the authority that they have and so on. And they're able to do things as they, as they deem fit, whether it's good or not. And that's actually where he's going here, is that it's not always good. So notice he says uh, in verse 5, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing and the wise uh, heart will know the proper time and the just way for there's a time and a way for everything although man's trouble lies heavy on him. That trouble I think that he's talking about here is the trouble that comes from our political rulers and officials. In other words, they have a way of using their power not for the good of the citizens but sometimes to the disadvantage of those who are who are under their authority, which is why he says um, in, excuse me, in verse eight, he says, no man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. He says, all this I've observed while applying my heart to all that's done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. He even goes on in verse 10, I saw wicked buried. 
They used to go in and out of the holy place, and they were praised in the city where they had done such things. In other words, here are these wicked that are, that are buried, and they seem to be buried with honor. They, they, they've done wicked things, and they are praised for it. They are celebrated, even though they've, done, they've committed atrocities in the city and so on. He says, because the sentence, verse 11, against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Well, you know exactly what happens, right? We know this, especially if we have kids. And, and you know what it's like. As, uh, even as a kid, you know what it's like having kids. You know what it's like when you have done something that you knew you weren't supposed to do and nothing happened. And you just thought for a moment, for real? And what do you do at that moment? Do you go, that was wrong. I should not have done that. You know what? Not only am I not going to do it again, but I'm going to go over to mom and dad and I'm going to confess my sin because what I did was, 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 was wretched before God and I'm a worm and, and I'm going to confess and, and, and tell them everything. Yeah, that, that may cross your mind. I'm just going to take a shot in the dark and say that's not the first thing that crosses your mind, right? What is usually the first thing that crosses your mind? I got away with it? Let me see if I can do it again. <laughs> right? And that's exactly what he says. He says, because the sentence isn't executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. It's like it emboldens you to go even further and to try even more and to push the line even more and, and everything. He says that's the heart of man. Notice, when justice is not executed speedily, it only encourages more injustice. That's what he's saying here. He says, though a sinner does, an, uh, does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Here's the point that he's making. Death gives us a perspective on injustice. In this life, we look at it all and we say, they're getting away with this. They're getting away with this. And they die. And there just seems to be honor, you know, and praise and everything. But those who know the Lord know that death is not the end. And even though it looks like they got away with it in this life, there is a day that is coming when they will stand before the Lord. And when they stand before him, they will not get away with it that time or for all of eternity. Amen. God in his grace and in his kindness has said, no, I'm going to put a, 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 an expiration date on this. You will die and everything, but death is not the end. He does not win because of all of the things that happened in this life. There's another life that is coming. And if he is not ready to stand before the Lord in that day, he is going to get exactly what he deserves. It's so encouraging as I look at our world and I see the evils in this world. And I see the money that is made in doing evil. Millions, billions of dollars that are made for doing evil. Whether we're talking about the human trafficking uh, uh, system and, and the millions and even billions of dollars that are made 
and profit off of that. Or when I see, you know, the abortion industry, or when I see even in many cases uh, the prison systems and, and, and the money that is passed around and so on, to not to rehabilitate and even to bring reform and transformation, but to keep people in chains for the rest of their lives with zero hope and zero future for them. When I see these types of things over and over and over again, it makes you wonder, will there ever be justice? And yet death gives us a perspective to say there is going to be justice. This life is not the last word. Our Lord Jesus has the last word. And everyone will stand before him in that day, even us. We will stand before him on that day. The good news is that when we stand before him on that day, you don't have to stand and give an account for your track record. You don't have to serve the sentence that you deserve for all of the wrongs that you have done, but rather you can throw yourself at the mercy of the judge on that day. Because the judge who will hand out condemnations on that day will also be handing out commendations on that day. If he in his righteousness has covered our sin, if he in his grace has indeed made us new, and so that we have a record that is clean, that is washed, that is, that is white as snow because of what he has accomplished on our behalf for our salvation. You don't have to stand in that day and face the judgment that you deserve. You can stand in that day and say, my only hope in life and death is Christ alone, Christ alone. Amen? Death gives us a better perspective on injustice. Well, lastly here, death gives us a, a better perspective on what's important. It gives us a better perspective on our ignorance. It gives us a better perspective on injustice, and it even here gives us a better perspective on our insecurity. Look what he says here in verse 16 of chapter 8. He says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. There it is again, that God is the one who's, who's keeping us from understanding everything. He has not given us omniscience. However, man, much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. And so look what he says in chapter 9. But all this I laid to heart, examining how the righteous and the wise in their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and as he who swears is, as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. What's the event? Death, yes, the event is death that he's talking about here. He says also, uh, in the middle of verse 3, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But look what he says. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. 
For a living dog is better than a dead lion. I love how he says that. A living, a, a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, and the, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have all perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Notice what he's saying. He's saying here, even though you, the reality is we are going to die, he says there's something about the fact that we live that is, gift, that is a gift from God to us. God has given us the ability to live. He's given us life. He has not just given us this, this, this trail of tears leading all the way to our grave, but, but we, we, we wake up and, we, and we, we go to our refrigerators and there's food. Who put that food in our refrigerator? God put that food in our refrigerator. Who gave us the sleep that we needed last night? God is the one who gives to his beloved sleep, as he says in Psalm 127. God is the one who's given us our families. God is the one who has given us ample transportation to get to our church fam this morning and gather together and hear the songs of Zion as we praise him with one voice. God is the one who made that happen. And we leave from here and we fellowship with one another another god gives us that fellowship and 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 then we're gonna we're gonna eat and everything and then we're gonna take a nap hopefully and and we're gonna have a wonderful time all of that are all of these are gifts from god and then we wake up in the morning and we go on with the toil with which we toil in the life under the sun but that's god's gift to us all of this is from the hand of God. Why do I say that? Because he says in verse 7, Go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry, uh, grape juice, with a merry heart, for, for God has already approved what you do. He says, let your garments be always white. In other words, wash your clothes. Don't be sitting around in rags and everything going, nope. He knows the trouble I see. Oh, be joyful. Wash your clothes. Let not oil be lacking on your head. In other words, get your hair done and everything. Wash your face. It's a good day because it's a day that the Lord has made. See what he's saying? Enjoy life, verse 9, with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Notice, it's vain, yes. There's a life expectancy, yes. You are going to die one day, yes. So live while you still can. Enjoy the gift that God has given you. Enjoy the good graces that come from the hand of our God. He says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Pick up a hobby. Work hard at your job. Do a good work. For there is no work or thought or wisdom or sorry, or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. In other words, when this life is over, it's, it's over in terms of what we get to experience right now. He says, enjoy it while you can because you won't always be able to enjoy it. Death gives us a better perspective on our insecurity. Why? Because if I know that I'm going to die, it could paralyze me. And now all of a sudden, I don't know what to do, and I don't, I don't really feel like doing anything, because what's the point of doing anything if we die? But you aren't serving the God of the dead. You are serving the God of the living, Jesus said. Why? So that we can live this life that he gives us with joy. You say, but what's the point of doing so if I'm going to die? Oh, may I say it again? He is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. 
This God is not just the one who guarantees that we have life before death, but this is the God who guarantees that we have life after death. And you can enjoy these li- this life. Yes, it seems vain because there's an expiration date that cuts it all off. But oh, the joys that come after the expiration date. The joys that come when our Lord makes all things new. The joys that come that you will be able to experience in 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, as we love to sing. There is a day where you will experience joy that will have no end. And if that is the case, then let's enjoy the foretaste that we have right now while we look with hope for what is to come in the days after our death. That day is coming, church. It's coming. And if that day is coming, then let's go and let's enjoy. Let's live life with all our might. Let's serve the Lord with gladness. Let's love the people that are around them. And let's work as not not unto men, but unto the Lord who has given so graciously all that we have to enjoy. You are able to have security in this life. Why? Because the God who gives us this life is the God who through Jesus has given us the next life. We have hope. We have hope. That's what he says in here. And that's what I say to you. We have hope, church. Death is not the end. Isn't our God great? If he could take something like death that seems like the, like the final thing for everybody, what, what, what hangs like a cloud over everybody, and he turns it into a teacher for us. Death is our teacher. Death is our professor. Death has given us wisdom and perspective so that we are prepared to live this life well and we can live with hope in the life that is to come. Only a risen Savior can turn death into a teacher. And that's exactly what he has done. And so my prayer for you, is don't get so caught up in the distractions. (laughs) You don't have to escape. You can look at death head on and say, teach me. Teach me wisdom. Because I know that you are not who you used to be. You have lost your sting. And now the worst that you can do is prepare me for the best, (laughs) the resurrection glory that is to come. And so gain wisdom from death, because death, even death, serves our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are so good. You have given us a perspective You've given us reality. We live in a fallen world and we are still under the curse of death. Every single one of us in this room, should our Lord tarry, we will die. We will breathe our last breath. And that paralyzes so many people. It terrifies so many. 
And yet here in Ecclesiastes, we learn wisdom from death. Death gives us a better perspective. Death prepares us for resurrection. So Father, I pray that with each one of us here, we would listen. We would gain wisdom. Wisdom that comes from your very voice, Father. Teach us that we may live this life well for your glory and for your honor. Lord, there may be some who are here today that um, this hits a little hard for them because um, death is the end, the end of their lives because they have yet to place their faith in Jesus. So, Father, I pray that they heard the gospel crystal clear, and may they hear it again. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ and Christ alone can take away the sin that separates us from God. Christ and Christ alone can, 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 can take away the curse of death that, that severs our connection with the God of life. Christ and Christ alone can reconcile us to God as beloved sons and daughters with the Almighty as our Father. Christ and Christ alone can give us eternal life. And I pray, Father, that having heard the gospel, they would say, even as we say, Amen. We agree. This we believe. Christ is our only hope in life and death. And may they turn from their sin, and may they turn wholeheartedly to Jesus and be saved. Father, I pray that your spirit would move among us. There are some of us who do believe in Jesus, and yet we are still gripped with the fear of death. There are some who have been deeply, deeply hurt by the sting of death. Father, I pray that your spirit would tend to their souls even now to comfort them. To remind them of your grace. And to flood their hearts and their minds with hope. For the risen Christ will indeed have the last word.